Lifelong readers, you are in the place to be. This is Books of Pop Culture. I'm the master curator, Reggie Bailey. He's the question god, Achilles Missouri. Achilles, wow. how you feeling? Feeling pretty good, you know. Uh, what, what, two years? Uh, two years of this thing? I like the idea. I just posted that. I kind of like the idea of just hopping back in the seat for one more episode type thing, you know. Yeah, it's two years, but... We we here for we here for two more, you know, and on into infinity type stuff. So yeah, I'm feeling good. You, you got how you feeling? You dropped the you dropped the banger today. How you feeling? Hey man, I'm straight. I'm straight, yeah. man. Yeah. Just um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the future. It's bright. It's bright. Mm -hmm. Feeling yeah. optimistic today. Okay. Oh, not optimistic, Ooh. man. All right, all right. Uh, you could be anywhere in the world, but you are here with us lifelong readers and we do not take that privilege lightly so thank you truly for being here um and and you're here possibly on youtube or spotify or google Podcasts or wherever right and at those places you can do things that we like and that help us right you can subscribe to us you can follow you can leave five star reviews right you can leave bad comments too right as long as you make it go viral but other than that leave five star reviews right <laughs> and of course let people know that you enjoyed your time spent with us. And go to booksofpopculture.com because you can join the fellowship, which is our amazing Patreon community. You get deleted scenes and bonus content and all this other cool stuff, right? You can subscribe to the days. This is important. This is more important than ever because Achilles is putting out pieces every Monday. I'm putting out pieces every Tuesday. We are writing. We're using our pins. Okay, so make Come sure y'all subscribe to the days. And of course, you can shop our bookshop, which is bookshop.org slash shop slash books of pop culture. And Achilles, we're going to have some fun today with our guests, man. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, really, our guest, really. Our guest today was born and raised in Los Angeles, the son of a fifth generation Chinese American father and a Korean immigrant mother. He organized the exhibition Serve the People at Interference Archive and Roots at Chinese American Museum, both focused on the Asian American movements of the 1970s. He has written on the intersections of arts, race, and social movements. He holds an MFA in fiction from Rutgers Newark and served on the board of the Jerome Foundation. He lived for two years at Ancestral Heart Zen Temple and is based in Brooklyn, where he's the administrative director of Brooklyn Zen Center. His debut novel was recently a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award as well. And we are speaking to none other than Ryan Lee Wong about his novel, Which Side Are You On? After this quick break. Let's go. Hey, man. <laughs> Ryan, we are, we are glad to be here with you. Thank you. This is uh, this has been a long time coming. I'm excited for this. Yes, yeah, me too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And um, this also is special because this is, um, you know, we have a question that we asked at the end of the show, right? Which is, you know, who would you like to see on Books of Pop Culture, right? And um, as a guest, we asked it to the authors. Mm -hmm. And this is special because I think this is maybe second or third time this has happened where, you know, the author did name an individual. Now we actually have them on as a guest because when we had Elaine yeah. uh, Shea Chow, shout out to her. She's listening mm -hmm. or watching. Yeah. Um, to talk about disorientation, she mentioned you and which side are you on. She said uh, that you know we'd have a good conversation, which I 
I know we're we're about to, so I'm I'm glad. Yeah, to be I'm here. excited. And I appreciate um, that. Yeah. I love Lane's book. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that was a fun ride too. That was a yeah. fun ride too. Yeah. And um, yeah. I wanted to just congratulate you too. You were recently a finalist for the Penn Hemingway Award. Um, so and I just wanted to ask, is that I'm, I'm always curious to see just like I guess how authors like view that stuff, right? Like, is that something that you paid attention to kind of like prior to like putting your novel out in the world or was that kind of like just surprised? Like, Oh, I, you know, this is pin thing. They're, they're now named me as a finalist. Like, how did that go for you? No. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it before. You know, I had seen it on people's bios and things. Um, but I didn't know about the whole ceremony. I didn't know about all the different categories. Um, it actually just came in as a nice surprise. Yeah. And see, the thing that I just learned about was the ceremony. I didn't realize that, like, the Pen America Awards were called the Oscars for books. I've known about these awards really? for several years now. Yeah, I didn't realize because I thought the Pulitzers were like the Oscars. You know what I mean? Because that yeah. seems to be the one that, like, everyone's all like, oh, my gosh, let me tune into the live YouTube stream and all this other stuff. Right. So I didn't I didn't realize the Pen America Awards held that like nickname. That's a dope nickname. I mean, I will say, you know, you get there, yeah. Yeah. there's a whole stage, there's like a little PowerPoint graphic with everyone's novels for each category. And then they actually do open up an envelope and read it <laughs> for each one. And that, that was, <laughs> the whole that was um, my heart was like pounding, you know, obviously I didn't, uh, I didn't end up winning, but um, it was a ride. It was quite the experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm gonna have to, you know, buy me a tuxedo or something and go to one of these Oscars for books one of these days, man. You should. You, know? yeah, you have to catch a flight up, that man. That's so dope. I didn't, you know, because, yeah, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not the biggest on the awards, right? But I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that until, you know, recently, right? But it is cool. Now, I don't know about a flight. I, I probably enjoy a nice uh, scenic ride uh, through <laughs> the countryside up there, but, uh, <laughs> But I would love to, uh, that do sound like a real dope, cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I'm really interested in this question uh, because you do seem to have such a zen-like peace demeanor, right? So this is a question that we ask everyone. How are you doing genuinely, Ryan? Now, we, like I said, I, I understand. I see that you're very calm. But if you do have trapped gas, let us know. If it's too hot where you are, let us know. But how are you doing genuinely mm. well, i appreciate the honesty of that question mm. like uh i think one of the hardest parts of moving around in social scenes can be people asking you how you're doing but not actually wanting to hear um yeah they actually just want you to say i'm good and then move on so i appreciate the honesty um <clears throat> you know i'll say this personally i feel um pretty well rested I feel I'm really learning how to rest. That's a big practice for me right now to like truly rest and yeah. let go of certain things or just know certain things aren't going to get done. Um, so yeah, the last couple of nights slept a lot. Um, took it easy more or less, did some reading. Um, but then I would say at the same time, I feel that, um, you know, folks I'm close to, people I'm in community with are going through some really heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking to someone today who had a close friend 
die at a fairly young age. I have uh, a dear mentor figure, a teacher figure who is battling cancer right now. And I feel, you know, a lot of folks close to me are still kind of in or coming out of or in various stages of dealing with the pandemic. And I think yeah. that's something that's not really talked about that much in public discourse. So, so it's all of that, right, at the same time. Like, personally, pretty good, pretty well, and then at the same time holding a lot in my communities. Even recently, I learned of a, a death of a parent from someone recently, mm. right? Um, just unsuspected, like completely unsuspected. And it's just wild how like, just how different people are really on these really unique paths. And like, you know, I'm coming here, I'm high energy. I'm ready to talk yeah. about which side are you on, right? But I know someone right now who is like probably on the opposite end of the spectrum, like yeah. from what I'm doing. And um, it's, yeah, it's just it's a it's a lot. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot. So I was just thinking in terms of books, right? Like you know, we read uh, the Griffiths Love book, um, right? So thinking about what both of you guys are kind of saying in that regard, but then also uh, Trista Hershey's uh, Rest is Resistance, right? Like mm -hmm. learning how to rest properly and thinking about you know, like because you know, rest just isn't sleep, right? Like literally, like like Ryan was saying, like letting being okay with things not getting done. Right. And then lastly, I was thinking about like the the guilt that is sometimes associated with rest. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you know, how like you were saying, Reggie, I'm coming high energy or I'm resting right while all this is happening. So it is a it is a um I love that question too, you know, because you know, we ask it and we I tell the little fart joke, but it, it's just showing that we really want you to say mm -hmm. how you're doing because a lot of times, uh like you said, folks don't really want to hear it. And um, there's a lot going on at all times. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll jump to my normal question. But I think it's even fitting that a show about books asks that question. I just put this in my head right now, right? Mm -hmm. The reason why I say that is because books, I've always said this about books. Books are, reading a book is one of the most intimate experiences that one can have right mm -hmm. definitely one of the most intimate experiences one can have with with art right i don't know if it gets more intimate than this right so it would make sense that a show called books of pop culture would ask how are you doing genuinely right because we just spent however many pages with you know an author's mind right with with a story that means something to an author right mm -hmm. so we might as well get to know a little bit about how the author is you know, feeling genuinely outside of the stories they're creating, because it takes a lot to even, you know, create the story in the first place. So, yeah, yeah. 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 I want to also say too, though, Reggie, um, I just want to give the name of the author for The Grief is Love, Living with Loss. That is Marissa Renee Lee. So, Trisha Hersey's Rest is Resistance, uh, Marissa Renee Lee's Grief is Love. Yeah, and shout out to both of them for those uh, books. You know, if y'all are going through something or just, you want to read some good, you know, read them as well. Um, Ryan, love asking this question. Um, what is the most important lesson you've learned about the business of writing? I'll say this. So I have a very dear friend, also part of my Zen community, who worked in publishing for many years. And as we're going through the process of getting this book published, you know, I was talking to agents, I was talking to editors, um, and then finally up to the publication process, 
my friend's main advice was just forget about everything. Forget about all the prizes, forget about all the little things you can get, forget about the press, uh, the critical response, how many copies it sells. Number one, you just have to remember why you wrote this book in the first place. And number two, all you can ask from this process is that the people who publish it print the book and send it to bookstores. <laughs> like if they, yeah. if they do that, that's it. That's yeah. all you need. Anything beyond that is nice if it happens, but that that's the ground. And that yeah. has really helped me in terms of my mental, emotional well-being in this process, because there are infinite little things you can get or not get. There's um, in Zen, we talk a lot about comparing mind. There's infinite opportunities to compare your experience with, you know, I have friends who published, I have, you know, mentor figures who have published. And you could spend a lot of grief um, and agony saying like, well, why didn't I get that thing? And then I come back and I say, is it printed on paper? Is it a book? Is it a physical book? And is it being sent to bookstores? Um, because yeah. that really is um, the main thing that I want to need from a publisher. Man, that is, that's very like peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you that, is, that is such a peaceful mindset to have about all this because like, like I just, there's so many stories we hear, like whether it's the D walking story, or even what like Alejandro Varela, when we had him up here, right? There's so many different ways that, that this, so many different directions, I should say that this answer goes. And that was just so like peaceful. And yeah, yeah. The yeah. most important thing is to uh to try to suffer a little less and you know prizes are nice getting a little recognition is nice but um how can you really care for yourself and care for your self not suffering in this process that's the most important thing to me yeah oh, that's yeah. that's that's beautiful hey yeah it is it's like um you know I, I think i said this when we last recorded reggie but i was reading the rick rubin book um well i was listening to rick rubin talk to uh ryan holiday and he said um you know when you're writing uh they were talking about the the art the it, there's another book like art of war but it's for the artist right i can't remember the name of it but it, um they were talking about how the first draft is for you like just write it. Don't think about any of the any of the things that come with it. Don't think about like whether or not you can get it published, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of remember why you wrote the book and write the book, right? And then after that, you can deal with all those other things. And so the, it kind of sticks out to me like that. But then also, um, when Ryan said it, I was thinking about like this resetting, like like to say that to yourself resets you and regrounds you. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just feel like I'm gonna be in a better space after we get done with this interview i just feel like it <laughs> yeah truly it, yeah it's back on me now right yes sir <laughs> all right so ryan can you uh provide your synopsis or elevator pitch of what which side are you on is about and let us know the inspiration behind it yeah sure thing so which side are you on follows a young college student named reed um 21 years old he's a junior at Columbia and he goes home 
partially because his grandmother is dying and partially because he needs to tell his parents he's going to drop out of college to join the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and as he tells this to his mom, first of all, she's like, absolutely not. And second of all, she says, well, the reason why is not just because I'm your mother, but because I have experience in activism. And let me tell you, it's a bad idea. And what unfolds is a series of conversations back and forth about the meaning of politics, the meaning of being a good activist, the histories of activism that led them to that moment. And those conversations end up changing uh, Reed, the narrator. And this is actually, you know, of course, based on um, some personal experiences and also the real life experiences of my mother, who, um, you know, in the 1980s, she was the co-founder of something called the Black Korean Alliance in South Los Angeles and Koreatown. Um, she co-founded it with someone she was working with at the LA County at the time, a man named Larry Aubrey, who's kind of a local legend in Los Angeles. And the two of them, um, you know, this was way before the Rodney King beating. So they were going around to all these businesses, all these like um, churches, um, all these community centers, and really trying to get people to come to the table together and talk. So I'd always known this story about my mother and I'd always known that her work in the eighties had something to do with, you know, 1992, the uprising, Rodney King, but I had never known what to do with that story or like how to put it into language or even like the right questions to ask. And so this novel grew out of me actually starting to ask those questions of my mother and really try to get into those histories and understand what they meant. Yeah. Oh no, that's... my God, you're Reed. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Way to ruin you for you for us. Now <laughs> I hope I've never been quite as annoying as Reed. <laughs> no, Reed, Reed Thank is God. a riot. Listen, we were texting each other, and, <laughs> and it's funny because I mean. You know, we, we were having a conversation about uh, some other books, right? Like we always do. But I think, I don't know if I ever liked Reed. I understood Reed. But I don't know if I ever was like, I don't know. Do I want to have a cup of tea with Reed? Reed, Reed in the ocean is cool. Reed in the ocean, I know I might want to smoke with Reed, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely yeah, yeah. want to party with CJ. <laughs> you know yeah, yes, absolutely. I, I want to party yeah. with CJ, uh, Jane, and uh, my man. Yeah, Austin. Yeah, Austin. <laughs> yes, yes, Austin. I want to party with all three of them. Yeah, yeah you know, because yeah. because Austin's funny too. Yeah, we we <laughs> yeah. may we may get to that later, but not yo. So with Reed, I think I do want to get a cup of coffee with him or something. Right now, or like what, like uh, in the first half of the book. I think so. And, and the only reason why is because I feel like I don't think I was ever that annoying. But when I first got <laughs> into books, I was pretty annoying. It was pretty annoying. So I think there's some it's kind of like it's kind of like how mom and dad just just believe like, yo, there's another side of you. We, mm -hmm. If you talk to us enough, we're going to get you to right where you need to be. Right. 
And I think I kind of have that sense of belief too. Like I could spend some time with him and get him right. Mm. And, and maybe, and you know, maybe I'm I'm too optimistic. Maybe I'm I am just riding a high of optimism today that's out of control. But I feel <laughs> like I feel like I might could I might could work with Reed. Maybe. What maybe. about you know I mean, what? I'll maybe. ask Ryan. That's optimistic. I that. no, someone's got to do it. So, do you, would you go out with Reed to get a cup of coffee? Yeah, I mean that's that's actually the whole um, reason I wrote this book. In part, also is like, you know, I'm not saying I was Reed, but I was a little more, bit more like that, uh, maybe mm-hmm. ten, yeah. fifteen years ago. And if you don't make friends with your past self they're going to come back and get you one way or the other. Yeah. And yeah. so a lot of this process of writing this novel was actually getting to know and getting to make friends with that person I was. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great perspective. Um, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and one thing I want to ask, right, just as a response to what you were saying is like you, th- this story has been with you for, for a while, clearly. Right. But when did you know, all right, I'm about to put pen to paper? Like, how, how many years ago from, like, publishing? I know it published in the fall of 2022. Like, how many years do you think before publishing was it that you knew you're going to put pen to paper and write this down? Yeah. So, actually, what happened is the reason I wrote this novel is very much because of community. You know, um, I think growing up in L.A., growing up Asian-American, it didn't really occur to me that I could write a novel, you know, my entire life, even though I'd always loved books and I always been around books. And the real turning point for me was, you know, I worked at Asian American Writers Workshop and I worked at Kungiman. Um, and through those places, I met all these writers, you know, I met all these people who were like publishing books and like um, writing poetry and performing poetry on stages and, it blew my mind, you know, it blew my mind that you could do that. Um, and that I was in community with those people, these people who like, I could go into a bookstore and see their names <laughs> on book jackets. And so once that happened, it was almost like this gate opened and I knew the first book or the first story I wanted to work on was this one yeah. about my mother's history and how I connected to that history. Um, and that was around 2015, 2016. And so, once I started getting serious about this, um, you know, I went to get an MFA, I went, I went to all these writing workshops and all of it I knew on some level was pointing me in that direction, was going towards that. I'd gone to panels with elder activists where uh, though the speakers were engaging, there was no detail about what they actually did. I'd heard stories about how X meant Y, I heard grand outlines of the work, but never got the details, the daily life of, of organizing. What about activism made it so hard to record? Now, this is after the story has kind of picked up some steam, but it could be seen as a focal point of the story for obvious reasons. As far as your characters are concerned, what about activism made it hard to record? And where do you think we get that idea that it should be uh, hard to record, you know? Yeah. So, you know, before I started writing this novel, I worked in um, museums and archives. And I was doing all this work where I was like pulling out all these like posters from the 70s and being like, oh my God, can you believe this happened? 
And even when you have like these physical objects, it's still hard a little bit to tell the story because so much of activism, it's almost like performance. It's like, it happens in the moment. It happens in yeah. meetings, it happens in rallies, it happens in marches. And how do you like really capture those connections? Almost every activist space I've been in, at some point people say something like, oh, it'd be so great if we knew what they were thinking when they did you know, that action or like when they won that uh, piece of legislation, like how did they do that? Um, and so what um, Reed is talking about here is a very similar thing where he's you know, out there in New York, he's a student activist, he's trying to understand um, not only what's happening in the moment, but how they might learn from or build on what happened in the past. And I think what he's expressing is a little frustration that it's hard to find that. It's hard to sit someone down and like get the story of what happened. Um, and I think, you know, stepping back um, in American fiction in general, there's not that much discussion or conversation around movement histories. Um, even though yeah. movement histories have been central to like the formation of um, pretty much everything um, positive politically that's happened in America. Um, there's a deep bias, I think, in American fiction to not talk about that and not celebrate it or look into it or interrogate it. Yeah. No, no that is, um, that's, that's very true. I mean, you get, you know, your, your historical novels a lot of times, a lot of times they're like, I don't want to say predictable, but it's like certain time periods show up a lot more than other time periods. Mm -hmm. um, so so there's a lot of a lot of truth, actually, in what you just said about American fiction having this apparent reluctance of dealing with like movement history. Because I'm thinking of like like um, even like post Jim Crow or something, you know, like 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 around the time that's that appears a lot in which side are you on, you know, the 90s. You know Rodney King and, and and Latasha and everything, right? Like, I'm I'm thinking of that, and you don't you see that visit here and there, but not as much as maybe one would think, especially since we're 30 years removed from all that now. I mean, that depending on who you ask, that's historical fiction now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so hard work, taking care of yourself, isn't it? It's uh, it's one of the cool quotes that highlights the self-care thread that I think was being sown uh, throughout which side are you on? And it reminds me of one of Achilles' favorite novels, The Salt Eaters, where Tony K. Pumbara discusses how there's a lot of weight in being well. Um, and I, I would like for you to talk to us, Ryan, about the weight of wellness. In some ways, you illuminated that throughout which side are you on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the big shifts and movements that Reed has to take or that his mother encourages him to take is um, towards, for lack of a better term, self-care, right? Um, and in this case, the issue is that Reed thinks of self-care as self-indulgent, as this thing that's like capitalized and commodified. Um, but when you start to understand where his mother's coming from in this, it actually gets a little bit more complicated than that because the meaning of self-care is different depending on what one's history is 
and how one is using it. So like, you know, Reed, I think has a version of self-care that's very much like a middle, upper middle class, white um, hobby. It's like just to feel a little better. And you're, you start to understand that for Reed's mom, um, as someone who came from a very difficult background and place and history, um, self-care actually is survival. It is um, itself a political mm -hmm. act in a system and society that would actually um, deny you life. And so for Reed, um, you know, the weight of wellness is such an amazing phrase. I think that um, part of Reed's reluctance, and I think a lot of folks' reluctance to take on self-care is that once you start, you actually have to reckon with all the ways you weren't caring for yourself before. Hmm. And that is heavy. And all the ways that either peers or family or society um, at large has trained you not to care for yourself. And so it's actually this very intense um, grief process, I think, that goes along with turning towards self-care. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. And Reed feels that discomfort. Um, and that's part of the reason he's reluctant to start. Yeah. 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 No, we, we do often put off like wellness, you know, and, and Akil and I were just talking basically about that uh, recently too. It's uh, it's crazy. The, I guess, amount of books we've read that, which side are you on is in conversation with <laughs> like, uh, I, and I'm realizing yeah. it even more so as you speak, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, um, when you said that, Reggie, you know, I read this book completely digital uh, and, and with no audio assistance either. And so I think about, you know, when we were talking earlier about just how much we, we were enjoying it, um, that's rare for me. And maybe it's, uh, of course, because, you know, it's an excellently written book, but then there's all these intersectionalities, right, um, that are kind of going on, even in, in what, I, in what I'm going to ask next, you know, um, I mean, we all have moms, right? And I really love mom. Uh, I mean, really, really love her. She's so uh, she's yeah, she's good at listening and responding with the clarity that Reed needs. <laughs> and and, you know, now that I've said that, I'll kind of go into an, an intersectional route, I guess. But I also really like Kendrick Lamar. And on To Pimp a Butterfly, he does this thing where he creates this interview with Tupac where he's like blurring. It's, a, it's another Tupac interview, but he's putting it together. And essentially, Tupac is telling him that a man has until he's 30 years old to be a revolutionary. That after he was like, you think about it, you don't hear any loud 30 year olds like talking about let's burn this place down. Right. And and when I think about that, you know, he was saying that at 30, you settle into all the things that you've got to lose. I juxtapose those two uh, to ask you, right? Though I feel she's right sometimes. Is there a possibility that mother, that mom has lost sight of the struggle in some way as well? I mean, even Reed's father has that conversation with him about youth being an important factor for revolution and the impossible. So is it possible that, you know, of course, you know, I think mom is right 98% of the time. But is it possible that there's like a 2% out there of her like actually having lost sight of the struggle? Hmm. Um, well, first, I just have to say, you know, shout out to Kendrick Lamar, you know, good kid, Mad City. Um, just to hearing someone, he's about the same age as me and hearing someone yeah. 
talk about, you know, just driving around in an old Toyota that like opened a world for me. Cause I was like, Oh, you can talk about that. Like that, you know, we don't have the same experience, but just like that kind of like the boring everyday yeah. um, part of living in LA. I really connected to that and that album. Yeah, anyway. Wonderful album. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Classic laughs> the storytelling. Story, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think this question of like uh, being under 30 and like, you know, there's that quote about like, um, if you're not a socialist under 30, you have no heart. If you are a socialist over 30, you have no head. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that actually part of what I hope is still clear by the end of the novel is not that like, Reed is all bad or Reed is all wrong and he should just like grow up, but that um, there actually is something really important and um, socially important about that age when you just want to burn it all down. Yeah. Like there's a reason that so many revolutions start on college campuses or with young people. Uh, there's a reason that so many of the most radical ideas come from folks who are, you know, between 16 and 25, where it's like, on one hand, it's like, what do you know? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you, you, you haven't been on this planet for that long. Like, how could you possibly know? But there's a certain energy and willingness to question everything that is actually a really, really important part of that age. And so, like, my hope is that, you know, the book is actually not about one side being right or wrong, but about a, a concert, like um, an improvisation between these different parts where like, yeah, I think there is also a sense that by the end of the book, the mother is a little changed because mm -hmm. she has to really yeah. reckon with her past and reckon with this idealism that maybe she's not as directly connected to. There's the moment where she's like, maybe you are a better organizer than me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you. Maybe I'm biased because <laughs> I just really like mom. But I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think so. I think he might I think he might like have like the theories down, but that doesn't mean he's better at like people than you are because he's he's clearly Ooh. not better at people than than mom is. You you know Ooh. what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I want to wait. Do you have something to that, Ryan? You know, I'll just say that I think one thing I will say is that um, the folks who stay in movement work, like the folks who are like um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and still like hang around with young people, I think what allows those folks to stay in is a genuine deep appreciation that maybe the younger generation is doing something that they can't do or haven't done. And I'm not saying that's necessarily true between Reed and his mom, but I think that um, mm -hmm. what keeps people in movement work is a general is a genuine humbleness about what they could do, but also what they couldn't do, and like really handing yeah. that to the next generation. So I'll just respond with that. Yeah, Reggie, you you already have your other question, because I I kind of agree with you, Reggie. But I think the book changed the way I was thinking about it. You know, initially I was thinking it was this, which is like 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 Ryan was saying, there is this concert happening, right? 
But in, initially, I was like, it was, you know, millennial versus the, you know, folks from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, right? Yeah. Right? But then there's this other element that I think, um, if you're fine with me asking this question, yeah. Yeah. that I think is really at play here. When I interviewed David Dennis Jr., we talked about this idea that an activist has to be in harm's way to think of themselves as a real activist. Um, and one of the climactic scenes between the mother and Reed, he attempts to chastise her uh, for not being okay with being in harm's way, with his being in harm's way and hers. And and so I wanted to kind of ask, where do you think that idea finds its roots? Because even later in the story, Reed says the only thing that makes sense is putting his body on the line, right? And it makes me think about this layering that happens throughout time with cases of like Dew and Harlem case, the the Watts uprising, the Gurley Lane uh, cases, and how throughout these responses, there is always this emergence of the idea that real activists risk their lives, right? And so where do you think the origins of that are rooted in and why do we continue it? Because I think that's a conversation that um, all, that that Reed is having with both parents to a certain degree, but specifically with the mom. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I think this is something I've given a lot of thought to. And my theory is that our main mode of, our main mode, our main model of activism in America comes from a very particular reading of Christianity that mm. uh, equates suffering with value. And I'm not saying Christianity itself says this, and I'm not saying all Christians say this, but I do think there is a tendency in American movements and activism to believe that the more one suffers, the more serious one is. And the mm. ultimate um, expression of this being martyrdom. Um, and I think the way that um, even Dr. King and Malcolm X are talked about and lionized and kind of held as like these figures that are never going to be equaled or matched in history. Um, and I, yeah. and I deeply love and respect both of those figures, but I think there is something limiting about saying that, like, that's the ultimate <laughs> way to be an activist is to like give your life. And I think there's a, a tendency to like set up this like little scale in one's mind of saying like, okay, well, if, someone has suffered this much then they must be this serious so so reggie like what i was thinking about the reason that made me want to go on this question because i wanted to throw this back at you right so you can kind of go some go deeper into it right because i think reed thinks like when he's having that conversation earlier right uh with one of um with uh with mom's homeboy the name is escaping me right but the question about have you ever been to south central right is in his mind, a question of whether or not he's risked going to South Central, right? But the, but the real nuance there is, have you just given your skills to South Central and have you been with those folks? You know what I mean? But he's so under the spell of, of this thing that, is, that I just was kind of poking in the question. What do you kind of think about that, Reggie? And Ryan, if you want to chime in too, but I just felt like yeah, you were in that area. Yeah. yeah. And I'll I'll jump in so Ryan could do his mic drop since he wrote the book. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but, yeah. but I I think 
what Bobby, so I, I got it in my notes here. Yeah, Bobby. Bobby. Okay. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. what he's getting at is what you're saying, right? Like, are you just out here? But they, they frame it a certain way because I think what they're expecting is to see some fear in the young person who hasn't gone to the place that's mm-hmm. so scary, right? They know that. You know, a lot of times with with these locations, there's like a mythology that's built up oftentimes Mm -hmm. through the media. Right. Mm -hmm. And through consistent narratives, even through art. Right. Like about South Central boys in the hood, menace to society. Like when we think of L.A., we think of danger and we think of carjackings and all this other stuff. But it's like there's also on my block. Yeah. Like not that on my block didn't have like some of that in there, but, but it, it just a, yeah. showed like, yo, there's regular people who just happen to live in these places that have these specific mythologies, you know? So when, when I hear Bobby ask that question and when I hear, well, I, I, I won't say this part yet. Cause it's part of my question. I'm gonna ask Ryan, mm-hmm. but when I just hear certain, um, I'll say questions asked to read, I see more so like them just trying to call him out more than like them perpetuating like the myth mm. yeah 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 thank you for that um you're the first uh ones to ask me about that moment so i appreciate it um, yeah yeah in my in my mind how i was hearing it is you know bobby's just trying to make a simple point about um you have to know the community you're supposedly working for like, do you know that community? Do you know those people? And of course, Reed interprets it, interprets it in this kind of like um, guilty privilege way, where he's like, oh, oh well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if Reed were maybe a little more mature, a little more uh, confident in his own position, he would he would have no problem just saying like, oh, no, I haven't or, you know, whatever. Um, so that was, that was what that moment meant to me is that like, you have this elder activist organizer, just making a very simple point about like what it means to, um, be in the movement and you have, and I think Bobby kind of guessed that what we would say, um, and you have this younger activist really having this moment of like shock and awakening. Yeah. And this like this was like an alley-oop to my next question, right? Because, you know, one thing that like took Reed off guard was mom just saying like, yeah, you know, when we organized back in the day, like we would hook up, you know, we would we would do this as a way to like, you know, meet people and like have have fun, you know, sometimes. Right. Which it, and I'll even say it even wising me up a little bit because that's not my image of organizing my image of organizing is very serious and like we're not here to play like we are here to like handle business and minimal jokes right so it was nice to see that even organizing has its golf course kind of like business does right and i wanted you to talk to us about that like just organizing having its uh its area of play if you will right and in the importance of inserting fun within organizing and how which side are you on speaks to that that's a sexy question reggie <laughs> yeah i appreciate Thank that you. yeah um you know i think reed definitely is has heard and is also perpetuating that idea that you named that like similar to like 
you know, suffering being the measure of how serious of an organizer you are, like how intense and how um, heavy you make organizing also being a measure of how serious you are. And of course, like one of the main things his mom is trying to teach him is that's not true at all. And that was never the case for her. And so, you know, we are humans and like no matter what field you are in or what, a, what it is, um, one of the things we need is joy. Like joy connects us, joy is part of what makes us thrive, what makes us creative. And um, if you try to cut that part out or you try to deny it, it's gonna lead to some serious consequences. And I bet if you went around and studied every movement in history, the ones that lasted had some space for joy and celebration and connection and food sharing. And the ones that um, burnt out in ugly or spectacular ways probably didn't. And again, this goes to Ryan's point earlier about like, you know, we always talk about uh, how fiction is like an avenue to explore things, right? Um, specifically like the nonfiction side. Like I always say like, you need nonfiction to understand uh, fiction, right? to a certain degree, to deeply understand fiction. And I think about all of these opportunities that I know of that were in the movement where these uh, these legends, right, in the Black Panther Party were dating. And people don't talk about that. You know, they don't talk about it unless unless the person writes their memoir themselves, right? Then you might get some of that. But even then, that is nonfiction. It would be a good vehicle to explore some of that um, in the fiction realm. Uh, and we'll probably look for some really cool, compelling stories. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking about that yeah. um, in reference to what you were saying, Reggie. Yeah, and and I, I want to ask this, too, if you don't mind. Akira, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I got my next one set up. Mm -hmm. Twitter occupies a very, very interesting space in which side are you on, right? I even remember a moment where, you know, Reed is talking about like uh, his his mom had made a very cool and nuanced point, right? But he said to himself, I would never tweet about this, though, because I'm afraid of getting dragged, right? And then you even think of how as he introduces the idea of dropping out of college to his mom to, to organize, she's like, what, are you going to just talk shit about white people on Twitter all day? Or... <laughs> Or oh, CJ, yeah. one of my other, uh, my top two favorite characters, mom and CJ, easily, right? Yeah. And and it might be because they were giving it to Reed the, the hardest. Maybe that's it. That might be the common thread. But <laughs> CJ, there's there's this moment. I won't say what it happens, but she's like, if you say this is problematic. Mm. <laughs> yeah. She was basically like ready to give him a knockout punch if he called one more thing problematic, right? And And she talked about how he was just regurgitating all these talking points that he was picking up on Twitter, right? And could you just talk to us about just Twitter activism uh, specifically and just the work you wanted to do around that in your novel? Yeah, I appreciate that and the, the careful reading. Um, you know, okay, so for me personally, Twitter was actually extremely important as a learning tool. Um, you know, coming into my political consciousness and like circa 2011 to 2016, maybe, as I was like trying to find language actually for the things I was seeing in the world. I was trying to find language for like why I'd read something in a place like the New York Times and feel like, okay, that was wrong. That was racist. That was transphobic. But I didn't really have the language for why. 
um, or like, you know, just moving about uh, workplaces and like party spaces and like really trying to understand um, what was going on beneath the surface. And so Twitter was actually this incredibly helpful, critical learning place. And I think it is that also for Reed. Now, at the same time, I think as we know, Twitter can be very performative. So you can get on Twitter and, um, you know, launch off some ideas and uh, critique some people or some concepts or some institutions. Um, and it's a platform and an algorithm that thrives on controversy, that thrives on attack, that thrives on anything that produces anxiety in you. Um, and that can be, of course, very dangerous and harmful um, for us as people, for movements. And so Reed is kind of like trying to navigate his relationship to this platform. Um, it's very important to him. He thinks of movements in terms of Twitter. He thinks of like um, interactions in terms of like how they would play on Twitter. It's like very much in his head because of um, what he's learned from it. But also um, the downside of that is he's starting to turn, um, he's starting to confuse like what's actually happening for like what might happen on Twitter. And that can get really dangerous. Yeah. And so like what he starts to do by the end of it is to just like let go of that idea of like how it play on Twitter a little bit and just like be in the moment and just live his life. Yeah. yeah, and and it's like it just that lives such an interesting life along with the language in the book around like digital versus physical personas, right? And just the ideas of like theory and action. It's like I I just liked how all of those different things like live together and 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 just argued right and fought for their their respective stances continually throughout your work. I thought that was just so uh, well done. Mm, yeah 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 we think about um not we me uh, i guess i was talking about my digital self and my real self um but i think about the uh i think about like the last classes that i took in my um in my bachelor's and we we're talking about how the lines of the digital self and the actual physical self are going to be getting blurred this was 2000 and maybe eight and nine around that time right and then twitter emerges uh, like those years you were naming, I kind of think of those as like the golden age, the golden years of Twitter before it really became what it is now, where it was still kind of, you know, conversations and 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 a little open, right? But I think, you know, now things have gotten so blurred to where you can create a character who has that constantly in the back of their mind because those are people now, right? If I picked, plucked any uh, 20-year-old off the street, they're considering what's happening on TikTok, right? They're considering what's happening on Twitter. And so another thing that stuck out to me, I didn't build, at least I don't think I have it here because I wrote questions in two places, is <clears throat> what, how, how in the internet can take activists off the uh, chessboard, right? Um, thinking specifically about what one of the characters talks about in terms of a possible uh, political move, right? And to not have like the space for that part of it uh, is, is an interesting thing that I have observed though in people in that age group. I'm talking, I, I was a teacher, so I, I have a, a, a huge amount of students who are right around 21, 22. 
when they don't really kind of consider that. And so it's just interesting because it's like, I wonder how much, this is something we talked about earlier, how much that age of possible revolutionary is dialed back. Because you see it all the time. Folks are like internet activists, right? And they are actually on the ground as well, right? They do one thing on Twitter and now they get destroyed and now they're off the chessboard. You know, so just thinking about like, you know, COINTELPRO, which to me is still very much alive. Like they only they literally just say, oh, it just got disbanded. I just like, OK, but where do the people go? Where did all like the methods go? Right. Um, obviously to the Internet. So I just think about that. But I guess this kind of leads into this question. Uh, so Reed said uh, in the book that he felt like an ethnographer uh, and for the uninitiated, you know, that's someone who's doing like a long form research. Uh, specifically, you know, at least in my mind, in the social sciences. Throughout his quest to get a story that he can give to his organizing friends, he is an ethnographer of sorts, right? And I was thinking of him having, you know, lunch with his father after the rally, and there's this moment there where Reed asked him uh, how he could just walk away from the movement. Uh, and Reed's father asks is how long the girly case uh, was, and he says two years, to which his father informs him that he did 12. One of the byproducts of ethnographic research, at least for me, is respect. And respect for the researcher and the researched is often what comes out of it. And I think Reed's quest for this story elicits a sort of respect for those he's researching. Why was it important to present in this story for you? Why was it important for you to present that? Like the way that spending time, you know, around these folks can give you a respect that I think sometimes some millennials don't have. On paper, Reed knows that something, quote, like it's important to have cross-generational conversations. Like you go out, you ask any activist, uh, I think they'll agree with that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like one of those yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cliches almost that's in movement work. Okay. But when it comes down to it, and when he's actually faced with these cross-generational conversations, it's not so easy because what happens is it actually challenges his entire idea of himself. And that's mm -hmm. actually a very difficult thing to hold. And so, you know, he has the idea and then there's the reality. And so, you know, I, I love that you brought forth like this idea of the ethnographer, you know, he's someone and he's like, you know, I can do this. I, I like taking classes. I can sit here and like listen to some stories and like make a, coherence um case out of it or something to report back mm -hmm. piece of cake and then like the things um his parents especially start telling him completely just like destroy his idea of like his own life <laughs> and then yeah. he has to yeah. figure out what to do with that and so um what as you named like what has to happen is he has to um develop a respect for that history to develop a respect for the decisions that were made that maybe like are not the ones that sound the best or the ones that he would want to present to his friends the most, but that's the reality. And um, he has yeah. to respect those decisions if he wants to actually develop an intimacy and a new relationship with the people and the histories that he supposedly wants to do that with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can either extract a story that reinforces your belief 
Or you can let that history change you. I was like, oh, I know. I know Ryan was like, hey, I'll snap with that one. You know? like, no edit necessary on this sentence, you know? Oh, word. Word. Something that, you know, I realize is like even even like my literacy that I have is is a privilege. The fact that I'm able to read a book like yours and, you know, understand the the nuances of like activism and you know I, of course i know these words now but seeing words like neoliberal and neo-colonialist and you know patriarchy which i didn't learn until like my mid to late 20s right like just being able to have access to all of these ideas and informations and of course you know being an ivy league student right um there's just so much privilege that we see Reed have access to yet, right? He is one of the biggest, biggest critics of just like whiteness, right? Of whiteness in all of the ills that it uh, continues to just spread, um, especially on the in the United States. What work did you want to do around the idea of privilege and who has access to it? Uh, within the realm of which side are you on? Yeah, you all are asking the real questions. Appreciate <laughs> it. No problem. Um, no, it's it's wonderful. I think that Reed wants essentially to give up his privilege. So what Reed is learning through all his political education is like, oh God. There's this thing called privilege. I have a lot of it. The best thing I can do is like give some of it away so that I'm not like too privileged. It's going to take me farther away from movements. And the, the manifestation of that, of course, is like his idea of dropping out of college. He's like, well, at least if I drop out, I'll have like a little less privilege than I could have. And I'm going to stop doing this ladder climb. And what he starts to come to is a realization that that might not actually be the most helpful thing for him, um, for the movement. And it might not actually be the thing that, um, again, does what he wants, which is to respect um, where he comes from and the cross-generational conversation he's having. Because the more he learns, the more he understands that it's not just privilege, it's something that was fought for and uh, one and has this very complicated meaning within the very particular context of his family and life and all the histories and movements that went into that. And so, um, you know, taking a step back as me, the author, um, on one hand, I think like privilege is a helpful concept because it starts to um, name and bring forward things that are otherwise invisibilized. Um, you know, whether it's around race, gender, class, um, it's important to start to name like the things that separate us. And at the same time, I think that sometimes um, it's easy to get a little too caught up in privilege, especially if you are on the quote unquote upside of that privilege. It becomes this just like, guilt thing where it's like oh i have so much privilege how do i what do i do with this privilege how do i get rid of this privilege um when actually i think what is helpful is for everyone to like honor and understand 
what produced them, um, to understand their seat in the movement, their seat in society, and to move from that place. So to, to really honestly reckon with um, whatever one has been given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's uh, that that was another just just layer in this book that I just really spent a lot of time enjoying. You know, just seeing read reckon with the fact like, oh shit, like I kind of. I'm critiquing a lot of stuff that I'm like a part of. And, and, and I even like the pushback to like him dropping out because I believe maybe it was, it was his dad or, or maybe it was Bobby. Um, that was like, you know, in, in, in the movement, essentially we need people who mm-hmm. have like read the stuff that you've read. Right. Cause, cause the truth of the matter is, and, and I'm just thinking of this just in anything, right? Like, if I eat, I'll go to sports, right? I love basketball. Like, we need a point guard. <laughs> we need a shooter. You know, we need somebody who can, who can, uh, what a rim protector, as they say now, right? Like, you got to play your role so the team can win the title. And, and it's just, it's nice seeing like these, these elders like pass that wisdom along to him and say, look, what you're doing is actually very valuable. But the other thing they're also saying is you just need to get out of your fucking head and read the room a little better. And you're going to be one of the biggest assets to any movement that you join. Um, so, yeah, I just I just really enjoyed that. Yeah, appreciate that. This is one that just kind of came up in my head um, as you were kind of talking. But I'm thinking about this idea of what is for certain folks. Right. So when you were talking about like privilege. You know, there's um, this part where uh, Reed is talking about Audrey Lord and self-care, right? And then he's like, uh, you know, mom is like, yo, that's what I've been telling you the whole, I've been telling you the whole book, right? And he's like, well, I don't think she was talking about me, right? This, um, you know, uh, what Asian American, um, middle class person. I don't think this uh, black woman, this black uh, queer woman was talking about me, right? And it made me also think about the scene, you know, where she's talking in the uh, restaurant and he's like, you're appropriating, you know, African-American vernacular, right? She's like, what are you talking about? I'm just, I'm just talking, right? CJ tells him that too, at one point, like, I'm just, I talk how I talk, right? And so there are two things there, right? Like there's this idea, right? That has kind of come up, right? Where like certain things aren't for certain people. I even have a, a friend uh, uh, of the show who I know will know that I'm talking about her when I say this, because sometimes she grapples with whether or not like certain books are for her eyes, right. Or certain conversations. What do you think your characters are kind of saying about that? Like this idea that a space is only made for certain eyes or certain mouths or certain bodies in terms of the movement. Cause I always think about, what, one of the one of the things that your book one of the lessons that your book talks about is coalition building. One of the lessons that David Dennis's book talks about is coalition building. We know, right, that that is when, at least from the history that we get, when the powers that be are most afraid, right? When when these coalitions are built, and I think what your book is getting at is that happens in conversation, in being with the folks, right? And so if you have this boundary of, well, that's not for me. I know that's not for my eyes. What do you think that does to the possibility of revolution or at bare minimum, the possibility of 
you know, just conversation and us like liking each other, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one thing Reed um, really holds on to, especially towards the beginning of the book, is this idea of purity. You know, yeah. like, I'm going to be a pure activist. I'm going to, like, get rid of all the things that are messy about me. I'm going to know the best theories. I'm going to live in the best way politically. And what happens over the course of the book is that gets complicated. You know, he realizes he can't hold on to those ideas. Those ideas don't even really make sense. And one of the main ways this shows up over and over again is realizing that, like, it always depends on context. It always mm -hmm. depends on these person-to-person -person relationships where something that might be um, helpful and wise and skillful in one situation is not in another and vice versa. Yeah. And so, you know, um, he has this whole internal thought, as you pointed out, about like his mom and her use of uh, black language, African-American vernacular. Um, and, you know, she says, well, I wouldn't have been able to organize in Oakland if I didn't learn to talk that way, you know? And he wasn't mm -hmm. there, so he doesn't know. But so what he's doing there is essentially being asked to trust this history and this past and that particular moment in time. Um, and, you know, it's the same with CJ. It's the same with like um, when and how one invokes someone like Audrey Lord. You know, it's all about intention. It's all about context. It's all about um, who's receiving it. And then it's also, you know, to go back to something we were talking about earlier, it's also about being able to uh, fuck up, <laughs> to like make mistakes. Yeah. And for that not to mean that you're forever untrustworthy, but like to make mistakes, have a painful moment of dialogue and then learn from that. And, you know, yeah. everyone I know who has built any kind of um, friendship, relationship, coalition across any kind of difference has had to go through that because there's no other way. Like, that's how we are as humans. You just have to try something out, sometimes hurt someone, and then really own that. But then, you know, if both parties are able to meet and work through that, then I think, in my experience, that's when you grow the closest. I just wanted to say in terms of for the readers, too, there's also an ambivalence that uh, Reed is experiencing being half Korean and half Chinese, right? There's all of these things. I would say there's a triple consciousness going on, half Korean, half Chinese and Asian American. There's all of these things that are at play in, in his mind, right, at one time, all the time. And one thing that I think was was really interesting for me, because I do have some Asian American friends who talk about uh, that concept of purity that you brought up, right, in their own communities and what that kind of does with their ability to kind of move through their communities. And I was thinking about um, how one of the things that they do talk about a lot of times is like the idea of being, uh, what is it, uh, you know, uh, inter, in, what is it, is it, Mixed? What's the uh, the, the actual the proper term? Was it um, um, interracial? Is that it? Uh, intra like race? Or... I guess mixed race is the best okay. one. I, uh, there's an I word. I don't know, but mixed race, right? There's this idea that you know when they go in certain spaces that they are like alienated automatically because they're not pure, right? Mm. And I like I feel that in his head, but it not being the truth, 
the context of when he enters those spaces. You know what I mean? And I thought that was a dope thing too. Um, you know, because he was kind of closed off to it automatically, it affected the way that he moved in that space. Nonetheless, our closing questions. Um, so the most interesting thing you researched that you ended up including in which side are you on? Oh. Man, I did I did so much research for this book. Um, okay, the obvious answer, my mom. <laughs> you okay. know, yeah, I actually yeah. sat my mom down and had all these conversations, had all these long sessions. I literally recorded her on my iPhone. You know, I didn't actually transcribe that, but that was an essential part of making this book. I would not, this book wouldn't exist if my mom hadn't been open to sharing her stories. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to include somewhere in the book, but that just didn't make sense eventually, you know, during the LA uprising of 92, there's this um, report where like these uh, scientists were looking at um, a weather satellite and they were looking at images of LA and they're like, why does it look like there's a volcano happening in the middle of LA? And of course it was April 30th, May 1st, 1992. And so just that idea that like the fires were so intense that like this outpouring of grief and anger was so intense that like you could literally see it from space. It was like a message being sent to outer space um, that looked like a volcano. Um, and you can you know go online and see actually like a photo of the satellite image. That was something that was really compelling to me but that i didn't get to include wow yeah um one of or some of you know um the best books you've read in the last calendar year yeah oh man you know it's it's good you asked i got my little book here where i like write down all the books i read mm -hmm. um nice I'm, I've got to say, um, Saidiya Hartman, Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments. That was such a beautiful a, book. Such a good book, yep. Incredible mix of um, research and like fictional imagining. Yeah. Um, book is fire. <laughs> OD. Yeah, amazing. Um, you know, uh, Stay True, Fosu, uh, yeah. friend of mine, really mm -hmm. lovely memoir. Kind of Gen X, uh, you know, I read Pachinko for the first time this year. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I had been putting off reading Pachinko because I was like, by Minjinly, because I was like, this is going to be too much. It's like too real, too close to home. And it was, it like, yeah, I had to like take a day off after I, <laughs> after yeah. I finished reading that book. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a cut in brief. Did you watch the, yeah. the adaptation too? I haven't watched it. I'm not, okay. I'm not ready to go back there yet, but. Yeah, did you watch it? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, so I haven't because I, I actually gotta double check and see if we have Apple TV. I don't think we do, but um, but I I, I try my best to read the books before I do the TV uh -huh. shows and the films and all that. Um, but you know, um I've I've put off Pachinko for way too long because I've heard like exclusively yeah. like great things about Pachinko. Same, like I don't same. think I've heard like a bad word about it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah no it's devastating it's um 
And then, oh, another book I'll shout out is um, this book, um, Cold Enough for Snow, like a novella mm. by Jessica Au. Yeah. Directions. Yeah, really lovely. Yeah. 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 New Directions. Yeah, those are some of my favorites. Yeah, no, New Directions is um I, I I like their work. I like their work. And that's that's cool. You're shouting out the uh, you know, another uh indie as well. You know, obviously your book comes out, uh your book came out through Catapult. Um, so that's that's cool. Um your biggest literary influence or biggest literary influences? Yeah. Um, I gotta say one of them is Grace Paley. So, you know, Grace Paley is this writer who, um, Jewish woman from the Bronx, um, socialist. And the big thing that she taught me was like, that like, conversations can be literature. And in particular, mm. just like these conversations where folks sit around a table um, in their homes or like they're taking a walk and they're talking about life and love and politics. Um, they're talking about like what it is to be an activist. She has these like amazing um, stories that are like maybe three to five pages, um, but that seem to capture like an entire world. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting you say that too, uh, because uh, we, we, we've recorded an episode with Julia Mae Jonas, um, you know, author of Vladimir, and she's a, a playwright. And, you know, that's something, as you say that just now, I'm thinking, like, which side are you on could possibly be a play? So I don't, I don't know if that's something you've ever, like, dabbled in, but... I hope so. One day. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it would kill. Like, it'd be really cool. Mm. Um, the book you want Akili and I to read if we haven't read it yet? I'm asking specifically for a Zen book, too, if you have a Zen book. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um... You know, if you haven't read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Shunryu Suzuki, that's usually the one I recommend first. Nice. Um, you know, I practice in a Zen temple that was, that's part of the lineage that Suzuki founded. Um, he came to mm -hmm. America in the 50s. And um, say the name of the, uh, oh, I see Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Right. Yeah. And I'll say this, the first time I read it, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. But, yeah. but what happens is like, it's because he's talk, he's speaking from this place where like, um, how do I say this? He, the world looks a little different after you've been practicing Zen for like a few decades. And so he's writing from that place and speaking from that place. Um, but, you know, even though I didn't like understand it in my head, when I read it, like something started to shift a little. And I yeah. think that is really interesting to me in the book. I'm with it. I'm going to go. I'm going to get it. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely at least add it to the list. You know, yeah, I think yeah, Achilles yeah. might get to it a little quicker than me. Yeah. You but know, I'm going to still my, add my it. That's my bop. Achilles, you're, ready, you're ready for some Zen influence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to you know, uh, add that in my life because it's so hectic. Uh, you know, like those moments where I do get to meditate. I, I at one point was meditating twice a day, uh, oh. but now it's like maybe once a week. Um, and I want to kind of, you know, it's always good to just add some, uh, like like Doctor Black says, some some spiritual technologies. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, to your to your everyday life. Well, 
Tell us who you would like to see as a guest on Books Are Pop Culture. But if you are connected with this person, then you must disclose your connection so that we can be connected as well. Um, let me think. Okay, you know, I, um, you know, speaking of the topics and which side are you on, I actually wrote a review for the LA Times of this poetry collection called Concentrate by Courtney mm -hmm. Faye Taylor. And it deals with the Latasha Harlan's Sunjadu case. Um, but it's this beautiful personal history and take on it where like she talks about, um, you know, the way she learned about the case. She talks about family. She talks about, you know, black girlhood, black womanhood. Um, she takes a trip to LA to look for traces of Latasha Harlan's um you know um my friend put me onto her work and um i was really blown away by it that, that book cover is flying yeah. i'm looking at it as dope yeah i feel like i've I seen that one is it like a, a it's a it's a girl on the cover or am i making that yeah. up yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I seen. yeah yep tell us what you were able to share about what's next for you um and in the best place for people to go like on social media website things of that nature uh to follow your journey or work yeah 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 um so you know i'm thinking about um my next fiction book thinking about my no next nonfiction book interested in writing a little bit about you know my zen practice and how that connects to my politics my history um, you know, choose your platform. I've got a website, wanleewong.com, got a tiny letter you can sign up for there. And then I'm on Instagram, Ryan L. Wong. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And of course, like, like, like usual, that'll be like linked in the show notes, um, especially, uh, his website. Cause I know a lot of times y'all websites have like everything. Um, which, you know, makes the most sense. And, um, if you're listening or viewing, please get a copy of which side are you on i'll even throw this out there before your book came out um i read the publisher's weekly starred review on it and one of the things that it said in there was you know this book is gonna create some really good conversations so ever since then i had my eye on it and i was like hey we gotta read this we gotta get him on and hey it happened then elaine of course said hey y'all mm -hmm. should have him on and Hey, I'm not gonna lie. You can't. Not every review can be trusted, but that one, that one could. Yes, and, and I'm yes. glad that was yeah. the case. So, um, thank you, Ryan, for. Way. Yeah, no, no problem. And, yeah. and thank you, Ryan, for joining us. We really appreciate you once again. Get your copy of which side are you on from Bookshop.org/shop/books-of-pop-culture. For Ryan Lee Wong and Achilles Missouri, I am Reggie Bailey. It's been another edition of Books of Pop Culture, and we'll see you next time. Peace.